Welcome to the GRC Professional Podcast, where we discuss all things GRC. This should form part of our um, annual um, compliance plan reviews and ultimately um, the three to five year strategic plan reviews that um, we, uh, we need to create in compliance and making sure that the compliance controls we have in place are agile. Uh, and responding to any potential legislative change. Welcome to the GRC Professional Podcast, and we have a special episode today. It's part of our Risk 101 series uh, for Compliance Professional Month in October. And today we have with us Bronwyn Gallagher, Managing Director and Principal Lawyer at CCL Consultants. Hi, Bronwyn. Welcome back to the podcast. Hi, Karami. Thanks for having me. And thank you so much for being a part of this Risk 101 series. Uh, Today we're going to be having a look at privacy, um, maybe some definitions and terms. Um, And this is based on a conversation that obviously we would have had prior to this recording. Uh, So I'm just going to kick things right off, get straight into it. Um, What what is the difference between personal information and sensitive information? And is this something that is commonly understood um, amongst businesses or do they often get this wrong? Uh, I think this is a really good place for us to start and um, really good question that you're posing because um, how we respond as businesses and compliance officers or risk professionals or even if you're like a data protection or privacy officer is really dependent upon the um, alleged issue in question. So the the Act itself, the Privacy Act here in Australia, and that's what we're um, talking about here today, distinguishes basically between two types of information sources and how we deal with those two sources varies quite um It varies differently. So the first one you were talking about was personal information. So when we talk about personal information under the Privacy Act, that's really looking at information or an opinion um, about an identified individual or it's someone who could be reasonably um, identifiable and it doesn't matter whether the information or opinion in question is true or not. And um, whether the information or opinion is recorded in a material form or not. So um, that is really quite a broad definition. And so when we think about the types of examples that could fall from a practical perspective into um, personal information, that's things like an individual's name, their signature, their address, their phone number or date of birth can also include things like medical um, records, credit card or credit information, um, employee records, photos, um, IP addresses, um, voice and facial recognition biometrics. Um, That's an issue that's recently been in the media um, recently or location information from a media device. Whereas when we talk about the other type of information source, and that's known as sensitive information, that's really known as um, a really a subset of this personal information. And this actually affords a greater protection under law than compared to um, personal information. So that means that we definitely have to have a higher threshold in terms of handling information when we talk about sensitive information. So here, when we think about examples that could fall under the definition of sensitive information, here we're talking about people's racial or ethnic origins, their political opinions or memberships of a political association, 
philosophical um, and religious beliefs as well as affiliations, um, memberships of professions, trade unions, trade associations, people's sexual orientation or practice and criminal information pertaining to individuals, as well as health information, genetic information and biometric information. So that is why it's really important at the outset we work out uh, when we're dealing with a potential actual um, privacy breach, is it the case that it's this personal information or sensitive? Because the next steps that apply, um, obviously there's a greater um, evidentiary threshold for the sensitive. So um, this is where I think it's really important for practitioners in our field to really upskill and educate their businesses about this point. So if we can get people in the front line understanding, am I dealing with personal information here or sensitive information, that will hopefully um, fast track processes so that should we have to deal with um, any issues moving forward. Yeah, sure. And and do you get a sense that um it, is this kind is this understood the differences between the two personal and sensitive information and I guess more broadly do businesses really understand what kind of information they're collecting um yeah no I don't think so I think what's maybe well you know I mean yes and no would be the ideal answer wouldn't it <laughs> um but I guess where I'm coming from is that I think um particularly for example during COVID the way in which businesses have operated have been slightly differently um, good examples have just been that we're all doing a lot more, I think, online. Um, businesses are offering a lot more, um, you know, competitions, access to information. They want access to information of their customers or supply chain partners by way of online methods, for example, or CCT footage. Um, we saw the example with the um, facial recognition where companies were doing that without giving prior consent. And we're talking about the big end of town doing that. So really that's giving a signal to us to really say that maybe it is time for us to maybe review our practices when it comes to the Privacy Act and good time to do it, by the way, because there's talk on the table that um, potential penalties will um, increase under the new federal government. Um, so looking at the Privacy Act and really strengthening the penalty provisions. So that could actually be the catalyst for a lot of businesses to say, okay, Look at what we're doing from a practical operational perspective. These are the processes, policies, procedures, training and other compliance controls we have in place. This is the law. Are they marrying up so we're mitigating risk in this space? So I do think given the media um, examples that we've seen about privacy not being handled um, appropriately, and that's not you know, calling out any particular business. There's numerous businesses we can identify in this space, but yeah, I think it is uh, a good chance for businesses to refresh themselves with um, what, what they could improve on um, in terms of managing this personal and sensitive information. Yeah, and I guess we're continuing with, with not calling out any names particularly, but there was an incident in 2017 where in the health sector, and health is one of the things you gave as a definition of sensitive information, um, where they, a third party, accidentally saved health records to a publicly accessible space and I guess this is it I guess this goes back to third-party risk and outsourcing risk but yeah. what are some of the the big takeaways from an incident like that for businesses meeting their obligations and is it likely that we might see more breaches like this in the future yeah yeah, yeah. so I think that this is a um a really good example 
where we saw that, um, as you mentioned, a third-party contractor who was providing um, management of the um, Australian Red Cross blood services on their website, and they inadvertently moved data. And this related to over um, 550,000 prospective blood donors. And this information got transferred over to a public-facing um, web server. And so uh, this event happened on the 5th of September uh, 2016 and on 25th of October 2016, so, you know, I think quite a significant time lag there, um, this was discovered, uh, this particular um, issues. But having said that, upon knowledge of this happening, the blood service immediately took steps in order to um, rectify um, the issue. But as you can appreciate, given the data was up for a considerable period of time, um, you know, people could have um, accessed it. The position of the um, Privacy Commissioner was that this was a once-off human error. Um, they did say that there was a no, non-disclosure um, of um, by the blood service of data, um, but obviously it's really important here we can see that appropriate processes, policies and procedures are in place um, and it doesn't matter whether the company itself is handling this issue or third parties. But certainly, as you mentioned, when we're engaging third party contractors, um, contractual terms need to reflect the fact that, you know, should issues arise, um, you know, immediate notification to the business, um, understanding what rectification steps they've got in place in order to deal with the issue, um, how are we going to notify the relevant um, impacted parties uh, that there may have been a data issue in place. Um, because as you can appreciate, once we um, do self-notification to the Privacy Commissioner, um, there has to obviously be a um, investigatory process and, and ultimately, um, um, I guess, remedies in place. In this particular matter, we saw court enforceable undertakings issued to the blood service. So I guess this is a really good sign for businesses to not think, oh, well, we've outsourced this contractual, uh, this, this matter by way of contractual means, therefore it's not my issue anymore. Rather, no. Under contract, you might be able to say that, but certainly under the Privacy Act, you cannot say that hence why the blood services are um, subject to court enforceable undertakings to make their practices um, better moving forward, which is obviously a, a good thing for everyone in the long run. Sure. Uh, so moving on from that, uh, something else we sort of discussed before this recording was this idea of privacy as a universal human right. Uh, what does that mean in the context of how people's data should be managed and what are the consequences for not taking this right into account? Sure. So I think when people say, I don't understand why all this privacy is so important, let's go back to why it does exist. And that's because it's known as a fundamental human right that's actually set out in the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. And for those people who are interested, it's Article 12. So that means like having basic rights to food, water, um, housing, people have a basic right as well to the right to privacy. So this right to privacy under the Universal Declaration of Human Rights has led to the um, construction of legislation such as the Privacy Act, Workplace Surveillance Acts to protect individuals. Uh, and so that's really the main source, if we could call it that way. Um, internationally, that's recognised as a source. But as you can appreciate, we're seeing different jurisdictions taking a different approach to this Article 12. Um, in Europe, we've got GDPR 
which is a very tough regime. Uh, in Australia, we have the Privacy Act, and as we mentioned just at the beginning, the talk about um, strengthening those um, penalties and potential enforcement powers of the regulator um, as well. So I think it's really important to understand the source, um, that it's not just one type of government coming into power and saying, this sounds like a good idea. Rather, it is known as a basic human um, right internationally. Excellent, thank you. And we're down to the last question. Um, what words of wisdom do you have for risk and compliance professionals who are really trying to make sure their organisations manage data responsibly? Yeah, absolutely. So I do think this should form part of our um, annual um, compliance plan reviews and ultimately um, the three to five year strategic plan reviews that um, we, uh, we need to create in compliance and making sure that the compliance controls we have in place are agile uh, and responding to any potential legislative change, but really making sure that, um, you know, for example, the training that we delivered is, is, is targeted appropriately. So if you have marketing departments, for example, who are gathering information um, from customers, that they're fully aware of the application of the Privacy Act in their space. Similarly, if we've got people in procurement roles or um, contractual, um, preparing contractual arrangements with parties, the privacy issues associated with that are different and they need to be made aware. And furthermore, if we actually have third parties who are looking after our software, data, consumer um, information, supplier information, whatever it might be, making sure that um, with those third parties that we're engaging with are fully aware um, of their legal responsibilities as well. And I think really going back to that point that having a contract is not going to mitigate illegal risk. Rather, you need to make sure that you've got appropriate um, risk mitigation strategy in place. So that's in the role in risk and compliance in that second line. We talk about all the time the lines of accountability. That's where we can work with our frontline staff who are in that operational role to make sure they understand they're doing the right thing and mitigating the risk when there are issues, coming and letting us know on the second line so that we can do the appropriate internal, external reporting to the Privacy Commissioner if needed, and then obviously um, plugging any gaps that might exist. Oh, great. Well, thank you so much for your time, Bronwyn. No worries. Thanks for today. This podcast was a production of the Governance Risk and Compliance Institute, and the music was produced by Rob Neary.